Hey, Daryl, you know what time it is? What time is it, Gary Rabbit? It's time to get in the cab and ride along with these drivers out there. Well, let's ride along with Dennis McKay. I hear he, he can shift that truck. <laughs> hey, how's your mama and them, guys? They're good. She's good. 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 All right. Well, we're going to have a great time today. We've got Dennis McKay, Daryl Spicer, and yours truly in the cab with Rock and roll, drive. <laughs> program for you. I know you're going to enjoy it today, and you're going to want to get more copies of this, so give us a call, 618-383-2107, or log on to lonesomeroad.org, or you can email me at gary.lonesomeroad at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now sit back, listen, and enjoy today's program from Lonesome Road Ministries Church on the Road. Give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. Turning from town to town, there's so much I gotta see. I gotta look around. I got diesel smoke rolling from two chrome stacks. My address is 408 414, a big blue Mac. Now it don't matter where I'm going, I just gotta drive. I have the white line fever to the day. Sometimes I like to take a little trip and go back down my memory lane. My cares and worries just seem to disappear and I become just a child again. You see, everything looks different through the eyes of a child. Why, they can see their own backyards stretching out for miles. I never mean to tell a lie, but I guess I stretch it some. 
Each time I tell about the things I did when I was very young. Those mountains that I used to climb, they were really just small peaks. And those big rivers that I used to cross, well, they were just a few small creeks. My wild and woolly Mustang, of which I was so proud, he was just a broken down old nag that got too old to plow. And those stampeding buffaloes with their flying hooves of steel, they were really our old milk cows that I drove from the field. And my trusty old Winchester that I carried at all times, well, it was really just a slingshot that I'd made out of twine. Yes, the truth always looks different through the eyes of a child. And I like to see their eyes light up with my stories rough and wild. So if I stretch the truth a bit, when I relive my youth, why, I'm just looking back through the eyes of a child. So to me, it is the truth. Yes, sometimes I like to take a little trip and go back down my memory lane. All my cares and worries just seem to disappear and I become just a child again. Hey drivers, I wanted to put that on for you because we're going to take you on a trip down memory lane today. We got a message by Bruce Hawthorne and this was preached years and years and years ago. Uh, it goes all the way back to when you could wash clothes for 10 cents. When you had to use a payphone to call your dispatcher. Uh, remember those days, drivers, when you had to find you a payphone and then you had to sit at that payphone and wait for them to call you back. Man good old days and uh, they weren't all good but this message is definitely a great message that you're going to enjoy here's bruce hawthorne jeremiah was complaining because things weren't going the way that he wanted and god answered jeremiah and said behold i am the lord the god of all flesh is there anything too hard for me is there anything too hard for me in 1961, I felt God wanted me to work with alcoholics. I was in Bible school. It was my second year of Bible school. I'm leaving some of the story out. And God spoke to me and said, Bruce, I want you to work with alcoholics. And I said, under one condition, you pay the bill. God said, it's a deal. I had less than $4 in my pocket, went to my father, who was an evangelist at that time, and I said, Dad... God doesn't want me in college this year. What does he want you to do? I said, he wants me to deal with alcoholics. He said, if that's what God wants you to do, don't you dare do another thing. I said, how do I get started? He said, you need a building. We went to the slums of Akron. In two blocks, there were 22 places to buy liquor. One beer joint was called the Bucket of Blood. So many men had been murdered there. We found a building for rent on the corner of Barges and Main Street. We got on our knees and Dad prayed, 
Lord, if this is the building you want us to have, open the doors. If this is the way you want us to go, move the mountains. I had just turned 20. I'm 44 now, so you can imagine how young I looked when I was 20. My father said, if you go to Cleveland and contact the owner and try to rent this building, he might not talk business with you. He said, I'll go and try to rent it for you. When I was 27, father of two children, I went into a store to buy an arrow. I took the arrow to the cash-out counter and I said to the lady, I'd like to buy this arrow. She said, I'm sorry, sonny, I can't sell it to you. You have to be 16. I said, I'll put it right back. Dad went to Cleveland, Ohio, contacted the owner, said, my son would like to rent your building to work with alcoholics. Well, he said, that's a worthy cause. I was asking 450 a month, thought I might come down to 400. But you say he wants to deal with alcoholics. Dad said, that's right. Well, he said, I'll read it to him a little cheaper. Tell him he can have it for $50 a month. Dad said, praise the Lord. Well, the man said, what'd you say that for? Well, Dad said, for giving us a good price. Well, he said, for taking that attitude, I'll give you six months free rent. So you see, it pays to praise the Lord once in a while. We had the building six months free rent. All we had to do was fix it up a little bit. I'll admit the building did need some repairs. The roof leaked so bad three stories up when it rained to put the furnace out in the basement. <clears throat> Sometimes there's a little bit of work connected with what God would have us do. We begin to patch and paint, and September the 15th, 1961, 50 men came in off the street. The second night, 55, and over a period of six months, we averaged better than 50 men a night. About the first night, I looked the crowd over, and I said, is anybody hungry? And then I thought, what did I say that for? I hadn't planned on saying it. I just said it. Three men raised their hand. I said, meet me in that corner after service is over. I went back after service. I said, are you fellas hungry? I thought maybe I could talk them out of it. One man said, I haven't had a thing to eat for three days. I knew I'd have a hard time talking him out of being hungry. I said, I'll be right back. I went across the street, bought a loaf of bread, a jar of mustard, and a pound of bologna. And I gave them in a bologna sandwich before they went to bed that night. Next night, anybody hungry? The same three men raised their hand. Well, I had plenty of mustard about a half a loaf of bread, so I bought another pound of bologna. It wasn't long till we were feeding 15 and 20 men bologna sandwiches every night. I said to my mother, Mom, you ought to see these men eat. I said, they're hungry. Well, she said, maybe I can help. She began to make some soup and coffee. I called some of my friends on the phone. Do you have any cups have the handles broke off or spoons that are bent, plates that are cracked? They said, did you get married? <laughs> no, I said, we're working with alcoholics. We gave them in a bowl of soup, a cup of coffee, along with their bologna sandwich. We fed as high as 89 men in one night. First Thanksgiving, 175, and the first Christmas, a little over 200. We were trying to feed them every night, and we were preaching to them every night. Fellow said to me, it's awful cold. Could I sneak in and sleep on the floor? I said, don't tell anyone. I'll leave the door unlocked. When no one's looking, sneak in and sleep on the floor. The next night, I counted 56 men on the floor. He wasn't supposed to tell anyone. We were trying to sleep these men. I felt sorry for these men sleeping on the floor. So I called my friends again. Do you have any old beds you're hanging on to? They're just too good to throw away, but yet you don't need them. We soon had beds for 17. 
When the men came, if they were drunk, we put them to bed on the floor. If they got sober, we gave them a bed. And as long as they stayed sober, they had the bed. If they got drunk, they went back on the floor. Well, that was a little incentive, you see. We'd been using the beds, I would say, for about a week. And I noticed the sheets were getting dirty. You can imagine the type of men we deal with. It'd be easy for the sheets to get dirty. When the Lord called me to work in this vineyard, I didn't realize it meant washing sheets. I found out laboring for the Lord, young people takes in a lot of territory I hadn't planned on. You understand most of the men there at the mission, when they're sober, would be as clean as anybody here this evening when they're drunk, not so. We had a man when this took place was the dirtiest fellow I'd ever dealt with. His name was Ori, and Ori was sober. Usually the men come and they're drunk. We just put them to bed, dirt and all. Then when they sober up, we give them a bath and clean clothes and another, another bed. But Ori was already sober, so I said, Ori, you'll want to take a bath. I'll get you some clean clothes, and then we'll get you a bed. He said, I don't want to take a bath. Oh, yeah, I said, you, you'd feel better if you'd take a bath. He said, I feel fine. I said, you'd look better if you'd take a bath. He said, I'll leave before I take a bath. I made up my mind, if I don't do anything else today, I'm going to give Ori a bath. I don't know how that would rate on a priority list, but I put it number one. Oh, he was all upset and he wanted to leave. There was a, a chair right behind him, so I just gave him a gentle push, and he sat down in the chair, and I reached down and grabbed his foot and got his foot higher than his head. It's kind of hard to leave when your foot's higher than your head. There was just rotted string. He had a high top boot like men used to wear. and There was just rotted string. I just broke the string and pulled his boot off and around his ankle was an elastic that at one time was a sock. The rest of his sock had rotted off on his foot. Smell bad doesn't sound strong enough. Maybe you can substitute something there. His big toenail had grown within his shoe until it touched his little toe, and that's no exaggeration. His other toenails were twisted growth, and I said, Ori, how long has it been since you had a bath? He fumbled around. He had several shirts on. He found a plastic identification bracelet from when he'd been in the hospital. He said, what's the date on that band? Well, it was so faded. I said, it's either two or five years old. He said, that's my last bath. And I believe him, he was ripe. I got his trousers from him and sat them down, and from the knees down, they stood up all by themselves. And they're still moving. I'm not sure you got that. They're still alive. I called my brother-in-law who was visiting there. I said, hey, Ron, come here. Before he got real close, I said, Ron, do you believe in feet washing? He wouldn't answer. He got close enough to take a look. He said, not that kind. We got the rest of Ori's clothes from him and got him in the shower, and we threw powdered soap at him, and we had a stick with sponge rubber wired to the end of it, and we got him all pink and rosy. And then Ron got some tin snips and manicured his toenails. Well, needless to say, when you're dealing with fellas like this, it's easy for the sheets to get dirty. And I said to a couple of the men, gather up the sheets. We're going to wash sheets. We got the sheets upstairs on the second floor. There was an old washing machine someone had left there. And I said, Raymond, do you know anything about washing sheets? No, he said, don't look at me. 
said, my mother, she always washed the sheets. I said, Frank, do you know anything about washing sheets? No, he said, my wife, my mother, they washed the, she the sheets. He said, I, I don't know anything about this. Well, when I was in college, I lived close enough to home that I drove back and forth and my mother did my laundry, but I thought I heard her say hot water made some stains worse, so I said, we'll just use warm water. We packed that washing machine tight with sheets. What room there was, we put in some warm water. I said, how much soap do you think we ought to use? Raymond said, don't look at me. Frank said, I don't know a thing about this. I said, they're awful dirty. Let's try five or six cups. We got a big box of Tide, and I put in six heaping cupfuls. We plugged that thing in, pushed the handle, the agitator tore its way free, and made some of the prettiest suds you ever saw. I went running downstairs. I said to the fellows, you stay here and watch the washing machine. Raymond said, what do we watch for? I said, anything unusual. He said, how long do we let it run? I said, call me in two hours. We'll see if they're clean. I went down in the basement to get alone by myself so I could pray and get a message. I was preaching every night. It's one thing to preach every night for a week. Try preaching every night for six months to the same crowd. <clears throat> I was 20 years old, green as grass. And so I'm praying, oh Lord, I'm down in the basement. Give me a message. What am I going to preach tonight? And I'm trying to get a message. And I heard someone rap at the door. We always left the mission door open. We encouraged the men to sit in the mission rather than to sit in one of the taverns. And I'm in the basement praying, and they're knocking at the door, and it's hard to pray when somebody's knocking at the door. So I finally came up out of the basement, went down through the chapel, big glass door. There was Cherokee, a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. I said, come on in, Cherokee. He just kept on knocking, so I went the rest of the way, opened the door, and he was as mad and as red as an Indian could be. He had a butcher knife about a foot long. He said, is Raymond Franklin here? where Raymond Franklin was up watching the washing machine. I said, what do you want Raymond Franklin for? He said, I'm going to slit his throat. Oh, I said, you wouldn't want to do that in a church, would you? He said, I'd do it anywhere. Is he here? Well, I said, maybe he is and maybe he isn't. That's a good, safe Christian stand. He must be here or you'd say no, and he started past. I figured if I was ever going to do anything, I had to do it quick. I reached over his shoulder, grabbed the knife by the back of the blade, jerked it out of his hand, threw it behind me on a table of songbooks, right, just right inside the door. This table filled with songbooks. I threw the knife there. He took his fist and made a big swing. I caught his fist on the swing, got it up behind his back, grabbed him by the collar, walked him about two steps outside, said, when you cool down, I'll give you your knife back, slammed the door, locked it, waved goodbye, and went downstairs. I said, now, Lord, I'm sorry about that interruption, but I've got to have a message. What am I going to preach tonight? About that time, I heard someone holler, come quick, come quick, come quick. I went running up two flights of stairs, and there was two men holding the lid on the washing machine. They said, the suds keeps pushing the lid off the washing machine. I don't want this to sound like a soap commercial, but if you like suds, I highly recommend Tide. We ran those sheets through the wringer. We didn't have any tubs to rinse them in, and we finally held them underneath the shower. There's gobs of soap. I got baptized a dozen times. 
There was a big room on the top floor, almost as big as this room, and we hung the sheets up there, and it was an overcast, foggy, muggy day. And I said, you fellas stay here and blow on the sheets. I'm going in the basement. I got back in the basement. I said, now, Lord, I've got to have a message. What am I going to preach? About that time, I heard someone rapping at the door. Oh, I thought that's Cherokee. I'll just let him knock. He can't be cool enough. Then someone said, this is the police. Well, that changes the story a little bit. I ran up out of the basement, ran down through the chapel, opened the door. There was a big crowd and two policemen. I said, can I help you, officer? He said, we just wanted to make sure you was okay. Cherokee came up in one of the bars, said he got in a fight with you and cut you up in little pieces. Oh, I said, he's mad because I took his knife. I'll get his knife. He said, I don't want his knife. We just wanted to make sure you's all right. Zoom, they's gone. Next thing I knew, it was time for church. There I was on the platform, no message. Ripped, soggy sheets. No food to feed the men. We'd fed them the last food we had at noon. And no one to help. And the devil said, boy, have you got it hard. Did the devil ever tell you that? Boy, have you got it hard. No one to help, no message, no food. You understand at that time there were nine holiness churches in our area, the same denomination I was a member of, and another nine it's hard to tell the difference in. Of course, us holiness folks can tell the difference in us other holiness folks because we know all the tricks. Some of us have a tie that's an eighth of an inch wider. Boy, this is going over good, isn't it? You know all those important things that divide us, you know. No one to help, no one to lead the singing, no one to pray. Boy, have you got it hard. And I was depressed anyway. And I got a songbook, and I, I stood up there, and I thought, well, sometimes when you're discouraged, you can sing. Of course, if anybody hears you, they're discouraged. So I got a number. I thought, well, maybe I can sing this. No one to play, but maybe I can sing. And I hummed around until I thought it was in some kind of a key that would be conventional. And I said, all right, when you get this number, stand. And a few stood. And so I went down and passed out songbooks. And I said, here we go. And I started in. I got halfway through one verse, and I said, whoa, sit down. You probably never sang a cappella with 60 drunks. I don't think there was five on the same page. And those that were picked their own verse. There was no singing to it. It was a hollering contest. They was looking at each other, trying to out-holler each other. I said, I don't believe we're going to sing. And the devil said, the sensible thing to do is to quit. Why, did you know the devil's sensible? He's sympathetic and he's sensible. Why, he said, you don't have a message. You don't have anybody to lead singing. You don't have anybody to testify. You don't have any food to feed them in. Why, it's very evident the sensible thing to do is to quit. About that time, the door opened and in came a woman. Up to then, it was all men. And this woman looked like she was 70, 80 She's about six foot one or two. She's drunk. She had a mini skirt on. Her nylons were around her ankles. 
She weighed about 90 pounds, and I'll be knees are showing. And she had one tooth. I'm not sure you can picture all that. You probably shouldn't. And she's holding her miniskirt out, dancing down the aisle of the church, doing some twirls and a little soft shoe, head reared back, tooth just a-shining. And you know those men joined right on key. I couldn't get five of them on the same verse. She had them all on the same verse. And they was just clapping and stomping. And I began to listen to the words, and it was a nasty song. You wouldn't sing it to your mother at all. Some of the men wouldn't even say the words. They'd just hum, you know. It was so bad. Not old Annie. She just blurted every word right out. And she got to the piano and she began to play and she really was talented and she's playing and singing, head reared back. And I went over and I said, thank you, Annie, honey. That's a good girl. You can quit. She just kept on playing those nasty words. And so I tried to pull the keyboard down on her fingers. She held it up with her elbow and played with one hand. She was talented. I finally grabbed the piano bench and her both and I'm trying to carry her out and she's pulling my hair and trying to bite me with that one tooth. And about all she's doing is gumming. And I got her outside. She wouldn't give me the piano bench back. And I locked her out. She stuck her tongue out at me. I told her that wasn't very ladylike. And all the men were hissing and booing. And I got back behind the pulpit. And you know what the devil said? The devil said, well, that was sacrilegious. I didn't know the devil was so religious. Why, he said that nasty song right in church. There's no way you can preach now. I grabbed my Bible and I said, Lord, if there's a message here, you better give her to me quick. And I let my Bible fall open. It fell open to the parable of the lost coin. I'd never preached on that before. And I don't believe I've ever preached on it since, but I preached on it then. And I was just ready to take my text when a rap at the door. There was a door right here that went onto Barge's Street. Our pulpit looked back in the congregation at an angle. And I was just ready to take my text in this knock, and I thought, I might as well unlock the door and let this drunk in, because the way things are going, he'll knock all the time I'm trying to preach. I undid the two bolts, expecting to see a drunk, and when I opened the door, there was a man in the suit. Oh, I said, can I help you, sir? He took a sigh about that long. He said, I hope so. He said, I'm not a Christian. He said, my wife is. I woke up this morning. She was getting out of bed. I said, where are you going? She said, God woke me up and told me to do something. Go back to sleep at your day off. He said, I did. Woke up later in the day, visited friends, came home this evening. My wife had hot plates and pots and pans and food for an army. And I said, woman, what are you doing? She said, God woke me up, told me to fix all this food. She said, I'm just trying to mind God. He said, around 6 o'clock tonight, she's pacing the floor back and forth, praying, wringing her hands. Oh, God, I, I know you woke me up. I know you told me to fix this food. What am I going to do with it? He said, I was so mad. I was walking behind her. Well, you finally did it. You went over the hill. This religion's gone to your head. Look at the heathen starving to death, and you're wasting all this food. Why don't you feed it to a bunch of drunks? She said, that's what God wants me to do. He said, I didn't mean to say that. 
She said, God wanted you to say that. There's a mission in town. Call him. He said, we tried to call you, but you didn't have a phone. She wouldn't leave me alone until we loaded the food up. It's in my trunk. Do you want this food? Of course we did. I got a couple sober fellows. We carried the food into the basement. I preached a 15-minute message, and 12 men lined up at the altar. While I was praying with them, a stranger walked in and handed me a $20 bill. I want you to know 24 years ago, $20 was a lot more than it is now. It's not too bad now. There's a lot more back then. I gave the $20 to an honest man. I said, get this thing turned into some dimes and get those sheets dried. Well, we had dried sheets, one of the best meals we ever had, 12 men at the altar, and a whole handful of money left over. God said, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Young people, we serve a big God. We serve a big God. Is there anything too hard for me? <clears throat> we operated downtown for a little over six months. The government gave the city of Akron seven million dollars. They simply condemned building after building. Our building was condemned and torn down. We were just renting the building. We moved out into the country. We've been in the country ever since. The story's too long to tell it all, but we've moved three times since we've been in the country. <clears throat> we finally found the building that we now have. <clears throat> was on Taylor Road. The building had been built to be a church in the early 40s. The preacher died. The congregation sold the building to a man who turned it into a beer joint, a dance hall, and a house of prostitution. Three men had been murdered in the building. <clears throat> For a while, we operated at Robertsville, Ohio, <clears throat> just about 40 miles from our present location. Men would call us <clears throat> and ask us to come, and we'd have to drive that 40 miles one way to pick the men up. <clears throat> I remember one time a man called, and he was drunk. He'd been drinking. <clears throat> His name was Louis Arco, and Louis said, uh, Bruce, I've got to quit drinking. Will you come get me? And I said, all right, Louis, stay right there, Louis. Don't leave the bar, because if you leave, I'll never find you. Akron, half a million population. Stay there at the bar. I drove just as fast as I dare. I got to Akron. I went to the slums. I found the bar where he was supposed to meet me. I opened the door, it was in the summertime, screen door, and just as I opened the door, Louis stood right up in front of me with his back to me, and he just said kind of in general, I wonder where Bruce is, he should have been here by now. Well, I was standing right behind him. He said, I believe I'll call him. He started walking through the tavern, I just walked behind him a step or two. He went to the payphone, put the money in, dialed the mission's number and said, hello, is Bruce there? Someone must have said, just a minute. And I tiptoed, and in his other ear, I said, hello? He said, is that you, Bruce? Yes, I said, it's me. He said, when are you going to come and get me? I said, you hang up the phone, and I'll be there. He said, you can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. You hang up the phone. I saw him shrug his shoulders. He hung up the phone. I tapped him on the shoulder. <laughs> he turned around. He said, how'd you do that? We got halfway home. He said, I think I'm going to have to quit drinking. I'm starting to imagine things. <clears throat> well, it uh, wasn't always that easy to pick the men up. And we were 40 miles away working with alcoholics. Thank you very much. <clears throat> we prayed that God would get us closer to the Akron area. We were able to move to our present location. And as I've already told you, the building had been built to be a church in the early, early 40s. 
It was turned into a beer joint, <clears throat> a dance hall, and a house of prostitution. We contacted a real estate man. He said, make a bid for the building. <clears throat> My father and I prayed it over, said 6500 Oh, the auctioneer said, that'll never get it. Well, that's all we feel God wants us to give. He said, I'll put in your bid, but you'll never get it. The day of the auction came, the auctioneer said, what's the bid for the building? One man said 9500 in monthly payments. Fine, anybody give 10000 No one said anything. The auctioneer said, Mr. Taylor, I thought you had someone interested. Oh, he said, I do. I've got a couple of preachers, but all they can give is 6500 You've been offered 9500 The auctioneer said, well, what would preachers want with a beer joint? Oh, he said, I can answer that. They want to work with alcoholics. Are you serious? Yes, he said, I am. And then he told of the work we'd been doing up to that time. The president of the bank jumped up. He said, are you telling me that these preachers want to buy this beer joint and turn it back into a church? That's what it was originally built for. He said, that's right. The president of the bank turned to the auctioneer and he said, the bank will take a loss, sell it to the preachers for 6500 Auctioneer said, sold to the preachers. God said, is there anything too hard for me? They said, we'll give you three days to raise the money. I thought that was awful nice of them. <clears throat> I'd lent a fellow $500 years before, so he borrowed that back. A woman in Florida said, if you ever need any money, just let me know. We thought this was a good time to try her out. So we contacted her, borrowed 3500 from her, 2500 from a farmer friend of ours, paid cash 6500 moved in December the 5th. December the 6th, we only had five men. I said, where'd everybody go? Well, they said, this place is pretty bad. There's no water, the well had gone dry. It was hot water heat, so no water meant no heat. It's cold, and they just went to town to get drunk. And you know that'd been an easy place to quit. If you want to quit, young people, you can always find a reason to quit. Some circumstance, you can always blame it on a church fuss. They go through about every 30 days. You can blame it on something. But I thought, wouldn't it be embarrassing to get to the judgment and find that there were others there that had gone through more troubles and tests than I had and they hadn't quit? Wouldn't that be embarrassing? Well, I said, we'll fix it up anyway. We had to have water. We contacted a well driller. He said, I'll come up in the spring and dig your well. I said, we can't wait till spring. We have to have water now in order to have heat. He said, I can't do a thing in this kind of weather, sub-zero weather. Well, I said, what if it warms up? He said, it's going to warm up in the spring. I said, what if it warms up now? He said, preacher, this is December. He kind of chuckled. He said, you call me when it gets in the 70s. I called local Christian friends and they joined us in prayer and three days later it was in the 70s. God said, is there anything too hard for me? I called him. He said, I don't believe it, but I'll be up in the morning and dig your well. He dug the well and we paid for that. I borrowed the money from a finance company, $565.82. We paid for that, but we still didn't have water. We had to have the tank and the pump. We just had the well dug. A man in Pennsylvania, Brother LeVan from Allentown, Pennsylvania, said, if you ever need any hardware equipment, let me know. He said, I've got a little hardware store. We called him on the phone. He said, I'll sell you a pump at my cost. He called back. He said, I called the factory and they said you can have the pump at their cost. A $400 pump for 200 bucks. I said, we'll take it. He brought the pump out, installed it. Just as he was finishing up, my father came home from a revival, 
and he said, how's things going? Oh, great, Dad. I said, God warmed up the weather. We got the well dug. Brother LeVan sold us a $400 pump for 200 bucks. My, he said, give him 200 I said, I don't have $2, let alone 200 Those of you that don't know my father wouldn't understand this. My father, born and raised in Scotland, he just knelt down outside by the well and he prayed, Lord, this is your mission, and this is your well, and this is your bill. And Lord, if you don't pay your bills, you'll get bad credit. He jumped up, he said, you take brother Le- I'll take Brother LeVan home, you dig up 200 bucks. Well, I didn't know where to dig up 200, I'd already been digging. They went home that night, early the next morning, I'm there working, trying to get the pipes fixed. We've got water going through the system and there's a few leaks. And a woman pulled up and she was crying, big old tears. <clears throat> she said, I'm not a Christian. Said, I live down the road in a house trailer. Said, I couldn't sleep last night. God told me to give you something. She reached in her purse and handed me a check for $100. I tried to thank her, but words didn't seem adequate. She drove away, and I looked at the check and put it in my pocket. Brother LeVan and my father pulled in about that time, and I walked over and said to Brother LeVan, the Lord would like to make a payment on his pump. He said, huh? I said, it's too hard to explain, but there's $100 towards the 200 While we were standing there and he was looking at the check, I signed my name on the back of it and handed it to him. We heard a horn blow. We looked out at the end of our driveway and there was a mail car. We didn't have a mailbox up yet. I said to one of the men, go see what he wants. He came running back with one letter, said Bruce Hawthorne, Barberton, Ohio. It's a miracle I'd even get a letter like that. I tore the end off and pulled out and there was $100. No name, no address. Not a check, just $100. I walked over and said, Brother LeVan, it looks like God wants to pay off his pump. God said, Is there anything too hard for me? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. We serve a pretty big God, young people. He's able to meet the need. We were sleeping 60 men, 30 men in beds, 30 men on the floor, We were feeding the men three meals a day, preaching to them every night. President Kennedy was assassinated. I'm sure you recall that event or have read of that event in history. The same day that he was shot a nursing home in Ashtabula, Ohio, burnt to the ground, and 82 people lost their life. Naturally, the president's death took priority in the news. But in Ohio, they begin to investigate nursing homes. Now, we're really not a nursing home, but we're not anything else either. So they investigated us. And the local authorities, it took them approximately a year after the president's death before they investigated us because they had so many other places to investigate first. And the local county inspector came and he said, you have to close. Your ceiling's two inches too low. It's eight foot six inches, it's supposed to be eight foot eight inches. And you have too many men sleeping in one room, you have 60 men in one room. You have to close. Well, I said, I can't do that. Where will these men stay? He said, that's not my problem. You have to close. Well, I said, I won't do it. Well, he said, I'll I'll padlock the door. Well, I said, I'll knock the padlock off. It's my door. He said, they'll put you in jail. Well, I said, uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, for some of you younger folks, was drafted to the army and he said he wouldn't go and they said they're going to put him in jail and he's not in either one. Put him in jail. Then put me in jail. 
He said, I'm not involved with Cassius Clay. I said, get involved. He said, I'll be back in 30 days with a padlock. I said, you better bring a box of them. That was on Friday. Monday, I was at the bank. The president of the bank said, how's things going? Oh, I said, just great. I told him about the men that had been helped and saved and the work progressing. I said, they're going to put me in jail, but other than that, everything's working smooth. Well, what are they going to put you in jail for? I told him the whole story. He said, forget it. I said, forget it. He said, just forget it. I found out later, he, the president of the bank, and the chief of police and the mayor of the city and a fellow that owned a big shopping center got in a big station wagon and went to the county and the head inspectors and said, how do you like your job? <laughs> oh, he said, I like it. They said, do you want to keep it? He said, I believe I do. They said, then leave that mission alone. He said, okay. Well, it pays to have some good Catholic friends, doesn't it? You know, most of my life I've been told the communists and the Catholics are going to close up our holiness churches. You want me to tell you what closes up our holiness churches? Now, now brace yourself. This is going to shock you. I'll tell you what's closing up our holiness churches. Pianos. Now, you're shocked. I knew you would be. We get to fussing and fighting over pianos. Why, it's not the communists after all. It's those dirty pianos. And I don't mean the group sitting out here, I mean these. You didn't think I was going to catch that, did you, Brother George? And here's another good one, carpet. We fuss and fight over carpet. And the best one of all is paint. I mean, of all the things to fight over... You could give everybody a brush and three feet and let them paint their own color. I never have been driving down the road and had a preacher say, don't look now, but that church we're passing, Catholics, communists, just closed it up two weeks ago. But I've seen some churches close up because we fuss and fight and pick and bicker. Well, anyway, we had a year reprieve. What happened was the county turned our case over to the state and they said the case is just too hot to handle. We're turning it over to the state. It took another year before the state department, Columbus, Ohio, investigated. And they did the same thing. Ceiling's too low. You've got too many men. You've got to close. I said, I can't do it. They said, you have no choice. We'll paddle out the door. I said, I'll knock it off. Went through the same thing. They said, jail. I said, Cassius Clay. Same thing. Of course, I was a little bolder this time. Because the first time it happened, the Akron police, 300 policemen signed a petition, said if they put that boy in jail, we walk off the job. Well, that made me feel good. I don't mind going to jail if there's nobody there to lock the door. I can handle that. He said, we'll give you 30 days. When he left, I called the governor. And they said he was busy what I hold. And I said I would, but I didn't know they were trying to break the record for holding. I held and held and held and kept on holding. And finally the man said, well, he said, the governor just can't come to the phone. Can I help you? And I told him who I was and what was going on. And I said, I refuse to close. He said, you better come down and see me. I left right then, drove to Columbus, Ohio, went to this big office and several men there. And 
they had a big folder and he said, I want to show you the laws that you're breaking in feeding these men. And he had this folder. And I said, and I'd like to show you some slides. And I reached down and got my projector and put it on the table. He said, I don't have, I don't have time to see any slides. I said, do you want my side of the story? Yes. Well, I said, my side of the story is showing you some pictures. And I put the reel on top. He said, I don't want to see any pictures. I said, do you want my side of the story? Yes. Well, I said, my side of the story is showing you pictures. you want to turn the light out? He said, I'm not turning the light out. Can I get it through your head? I don't want to see any pictures. I said, can I get it through your head? My story. Pictures. Pictures. My story. My story. Pictures. It's very simple. There was a plug. I'd plugged it in. I flipped the switch and I showed the slides about three foot away on the wall. When I got through, he said, would you show those again? I said, I'd be happy to. He said, follow me. He must have been a big shot. I grabbed the projector and started following him down the hall. He didn't even knock. He just opened up doors and emptied all those rooms and took us down to a great big room and he said, show them again. And I showed him the second time. He said, you go home and let me think this over. I drove home about 115 miles. As I was pulling in the driveway, my wife hollered, long distance Columbus, Ohio. I ran in, grabbed the phone here. It was the fellow I just left. He said, after extensively reviewing the case, we decided you don't need license, just stay open. Well, I said, what about the county? He said, well, we'll tell them you're closed. I said, that'll be a lie. He said, don't worry about that. I said, what about my buildings? You've condemned my buildings, but you won't give me permits to build new ones. He said, build them anyway. I said, are you telling me to build buildings without a permit? He said, I'm not telling you anything. Bang! He hung up the phone. The next morning I was reading the Bible through and it just so happened the next morning when I was reading I came to where God said to Solomon I want you to build a temple and I've put a tool in your hand and no man can take it from you. And God said, Bruce, that's for you. I want you to build that building. I've put a tool in your hand and no man can take it from you. I got a phone call from a preacher that night in Sylvana, Tennessee. He said, I've had the mission on my heart all day. And I went to church and said, folks, let's just take an offering for the Barberton Rescue Mission. He said, when I counted the money, it was 500 bucks. He said, I just wanted to call you and tell you. Oh, I said, we appreciate that. We're building a building without a permit. We need all the money we can get. A man came out and dug the footer. Another fellow paid for it out of his own pocket. The same man poured the foot of the concrete and paid for that. We contacted a man in Mount Eaton, Ohio. Quality stone and block said, I want $500 for the cement blocks. Don't make it any more than that. That's all the money I've got. Big old truck pulled up, unloaded the cement blocks. He handed me the bill for $500. I reached in my pocket and handed him the check from the church in Tennessee for $500. He looked at the check and put it in his pocket, crawled into the cab of his truck, fumbled around on the dash, found a checkbook, got out on the fender, wrote out a check, tore it off and handed it to me. When I looked at it, it was for 500 bucks. You can't beat a deal like that. You can't even Jew a man down on a deal like that. We put the cement blocks up. We actually built two buildings at the same time. We put the cement blocks up. I called Stark Trust Company in Canton, Ohio. I need $500 worth of trusses. Don't make it any more than $500 because that's all the money I've got. 
He pulled up a few days later with a big semi and the trusses and a crane unloaded them. He gave me the bill for $500 and I handed him the check for $500 from the cement block company. He never batted an eye. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a checkbook, wrote out a check, handed it to me. It was for $500. That was the best $500 I ever had. I spent it four or five times before it ran out. We built the buildings and completed them and paid for them as we were building them in just about a year, a little less than a year. They built a new house down the road and the local county inspector went to inspect that new house and he had to pass the mission. He expected to see cobwebs because the state said we closed them up. Instead, he saw two brand new buildings. He crammed on his brakes threw that thing in reverse, tore into our driveway, scattered the county's gravel all over the ditch, very wasteful. He jumped out, he said, how in the world did you get these buildings? Oh, I said, we just put blocks on top of each other and put a roof on it. Very simple construction. He said, you broke the law. I said, put me in jail. He said some words I can't repeat and tore out. About 45 minutes later, the phone rang, and it was Columbus, Ohio, the State Department. Well, he said, how do you like your buildings? Oh, I said, uh, we like them. He said, did you build them to code? Yes. I said, we build them to code. He said, all right, I'm supposed to ball you out, so consider yourself balled out. I said, is that it? He said, that's it. I said, uh, aren't you going to tear them down? No. He said, that'd be trespassing. Aren't you going to put me in jail? He said, we tried that. He said, you've got two new buildings. I said, I need another one. He said, build it. I said, it's hard to build a building when you don't have a permit because when you try to buy material, you go to the hardware store or the lumber or electrical and you give them a list of what you want and they say, fine, all right, we got the list, we got everything for you here, we've checked it all off. Now, what is your permit number? And I said, uh, uh, we don't have a permit number. Oh, sure. Go call your boss. Nobody ever did believe I was a boss. Can you imagine that? Well, he said, I'll tell you what. Have your architect send us a blueprint and we'll give you a state permit and just use that number. I said, we don't have an architect. We consulted one and he wanted $7,000 to draw up the blueprints. We're going to build the building for seven to 10000 He said, put some lines on a paper and bring it down. I said, I can't draw a blueprint. He said, you can't make a mistake. Put some lines on a paper and bring it down. So my brother-in-law put some real nice lines on a paper. He and Dad went down to Columbus, Ohio, went into the office, said to the lady behind the desk, uh, we're Hawthorne from the Barberton Rescue Mission. We'd like to see Mr. So-and-so. Look at some blueprints here. She said, uh, do you have an appointment? Appointment? He didn't say anything about appointment. He just said, tell the lady behind the desk, Hawthorne from the Barberton Rescue Mission. Oh, she said, you'll never see him without an appointment. She said, people have to wait three months to see him. She's a real sweet thing. Well, would you tell him that we're here? She said, I'll tell him, but you'll not see him. She went down the hall, her heels just a-clicking. She came back clicking double time. She said, you must be big shots. He said, bring him right in. Don't keep him waiting. Wait. There was another fellow there. He scooted the other fellow's blueprints off and unrolled ours and grabbed a rubber stamp. He said, there's nothing wrong with that. Go build her. 
We got those blueprints home and got to looking at it, and we had that building 30 feet in the neighbor's cornfield. That building wouldn't even fit on our lot. But we had the number we wanted, so we built a third building, 205 foot long, 40 foot wide. Completed that, and they built two new houses down the road. And the local county inspector went to inspect those two new houses. And he saw another building. Oh, he wasted a whole lot of gravel when he pulled in that time. He said, I'll stop you. He said, if it's the last thing I do, he said, I'll stop you. He said, you don't have your septic tank in. And the head man of the sanitation department is a personal friend of mine. He said, I'll stop you. Well, when he left, we knew we had to get that septic tank in fast. Now, we had all the building. We had it painted. We had it plumbed. We had everything done, but we didn't have our septic tank in. It was in the dead of winter, and it was cold and freezing. And they said, we can't dig a hole with that ground so froze, our backhoe. We just can't dig a hole. We called Canal Fulton. We said, we want septic tanks. We're going to put that septic tank in tomorrow. He said, how are you going to get that hole dug? Well, we said, we'll just pour water on the ground and make mud. And you can shovel mud. And we've got 60, 70 men. We'll get a hole dug. You bring that septic tank in the morning. And then the next morning, bright and early, we got an, an idea. We went to the hardware store and got a half a case of dynamite. Now, I had never fooled with dynamite before. And I said to my brother-in-law, Ron, where do you think this hole ought to be? And he said, well, now, if I was digging it, he said, right there. He paced off. He said, right there's where I dig it. So we took three sticks and wired them together and laid them down and put a stone over them so the wind wouldn't blow them away. And we ran the wire all the way around the corner of the building. And we hollered, everybody, all the alcoholics, everybody look out, boom, boom. And everybody's peeking around corners. And my brother-in-law pushed that handle down, and you'd expect a little bit of noise. That thing went kawoom. You never saw alcoholics run so fast in all your life. I want you to know it took the stagger out of them. One of them even got to praying, Oh, God, help us. Look what the preacher's done now. We had chunks of mud as big as a car falling out of the sky. Blew all the windows out of one building. Half the windows out of another building. Now, we wanted a hole big enough for a septic tank. We had a hole big enough for a Mack truck. The next morning, the fella came up with the septic tank the last thing he knew, he was going to dig it by hand. He pulled up in his truck and I saw him look at that hole. He took his glasses off. He looked at that hole. He got out of his truck. He walked over to that hole. He turned to me and he said, when you dig a hole, you dig a hole. And then he looked at the windows and he said, who knocked all your windows out? 
put that septic tank in and it looked lonesome. He went back and got another septic tank and put it in the same hole. We put the leach bed in the same hole. And there's a whole lot of hole left over. We three days covering that thing up. I saw a white car come down the road and it had black letters on the door, sanitation department. And when that car pulled in our driveway, it looked like the springs were broke on the driver's side. It looked like it always wanted to make a left-hand turn very bad. And that was the biggest fellow I'd ever seen in my life. He opened the door and he had to roll out on his knuckles. Honesty did. I looked under the car and saw him. And he got up and I walked out to meet him. I knew I could outrun him. I didn't want to get cornered. So I headed for open ground and he's so big, big old jowls and he walked up and a big old deep voice and he said, who's in charge here? And it scared me. And I said, me. And he reached in his pocket and I thought he's going to pull out a 45 or a Sherman tank. He could have handled either one. And I had my toes pointed. I was spring-loaded. I was ready to go. If he'd have touched me, I'd have been 50 feet on one bound. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a little piece of paper. He said, have you got your septic tank in? And I said, yes. And he said, here's your permit. That's the last thing I expected. I said, permit? He said, that's what it says. Permit right there. Permit. I said, I see that now. How'd I miss that? It does say permit right there. Permit, yes. Boy, I'm thinking, I said, um, do you want to inspect it? He said, it says pass. Look, that red thing, pass. I said, I see that too. It does say passed. I said, fee, what about the fee? He said, it says paid. I paid the fee out of my own pocket. Nobody's going to tell me how to run my department. And he rolled back in his car and did left-hand turns the last time I saw him. <laughs> Listen, young people. God said, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God can move all the mountains in your life. God can take that burden of sin. God can take that guilt. God can take that shame. God can blot it out. He said, is there anything too hard for me? It doesn't make any difference what your needs are. It doesn't make any difference how far you've gone, how bad you feel, how weak you are. God's able. He said, is there anything too hard for me? He's got the grace. He's got the power to make you what you ought to be. I wonder as we stand with every head bowed, Brother and Sister Vernon's going to sing a song of their choice. I'm not going to coax and plead and beg. I trust if you've got a need tonight, you'll do something about it. Hello. Yes, it's really me After all the wrong I've done, Lord I guess you're surprised to see me Here at your altar Like a beggar on bended knees Who's come here 
to beg you, oh Lord. Please, please forgive me. I can't make it without you, Jesus. Yes, I finally see. So let me surrender my life to you. And Jesus, Jesus, please forgive me. I've learned the truth about Satan's so-called good life. Oh, it was just a candle. It was just a candle. Too short to burn through the night. Now I'm here in the darkness, and I come to you and plead. Oh, light my life. Oh, light my life. Please forgive me, oh please forgive me I can't make it without you Jesus Yes I finally see, so let me confess my sins And you can give me eternal life and Jesus, please, 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 please forgive me. Dennis, why don't you sing us out of here off this radio program? Let's do it. Let's what you going to sing now, brother? Let's do it at the foot of the tree. How's that? that that's my awesome. testimony in song, and uh, that's the first song that we've done on, it is. on uh, Lonesome Road Volume, Volume 1. one. That was the very first one. Yeah. Here is Dennis McKay singing At the Foot of the Tree. Without hope, 18 wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read, his words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. Then I called his name This chance would it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree
was rolling down that old lonesome road, and I shared the good news wherever I go. Yes, there's been a change. I'm not the man I used to be, and I tell everybody what's happened to me. How I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past, but I called his name. This chance could it be my last? Then I saw Jesus. Hanging on that tree, and I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, broken-hearted and lonesome. So long I've been lost. I left a lifetime of misery. At the foot of the tree, then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree. I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, broken-hearted and lonesome. So long I'd been lost. I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree. to hear from you my phone number is 618-383-2107 or you can call chaplain dennis mckay 662-889-2829 or you can give chaplain daryl spicer a call 615-663-3199 yeah so join us next week right here in the cab that's right i'll be right here with gary and with daryl shifting gears and drinking coffee that's it yeah been driving all night, got 400 miles to go. Got the pedal to the metal and Vince Gill on the radio. I just went through Texarkana, heading down to San Antonio. But that's the life of a trucker driving his lonesome road. Hello, Lonesome Road family. James Payne here coming to you from the cab of my pickup truck. I'm holding in my hand two seeds that will not reproduce. One is this $100 bill. The other is this peach seed. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why won't they reproduce? Well, the main reason this seed, this peach seed, and this $100 seed will not reproduce is because both 
are in my hands. If I take this seed and I put it in the earth, it will activate the 17 nutrients of the earth and they'll be attracted to the seed and they'll create a resurrection and a multiplication. If I take this seed and I put it in the kingdom, then it'll activate the power of the kingdom and the promises of Jesus and a resurrection will take place in this seed and also a hundredfold multiplication of this seed. So you see, God has given you and I in the natural and in the spiritual the ability to sow a seed and see that seed multiplied. Just this week, I received a letter from a lady whose house was in foreclosure. She called the mortgage company numerous times, but they would not return her call because the date had been set for her foreclosure and for her eviction. She saw me on television preaching on the power of planting one seed in the right place at the right time. She got together a $1,000 seed and she sowed it. A few days later, the mortgage company called her and they caused, they discounted her payment $569 a month, canceled the eviction, and now she's able to keep the house that she's been paying on for 15 years, but had gone through a difficult situation because of her job. But now her future in her home has been secured through a seed. I'm going to ask you today to plant a seed in Lonesome Road Ministries. Some of you could plant a $1,000 seed. Some of you could plant a $100 seed. I want to ask you to plant your best seed today. But I also want you to become a monthly partner with Chaplain Rayburn and this great ministry that's touching over 8,700,000 truckers that run up and down the highway. We have the potential through this ministry to touch their lives and change them. Let me tell you, when you sow into that type of ministry, you're going to get a quick harvest and you're going to get a hundredfold harvest. So don't delay. Sow your seed today.